Shalom and welcome to Think Jewish, where we join together to explore divine keys for a better life. It was on an early Shabbat morning, 50 days after the Jewish people left Egypt and 43 days after they experienced the splitting of the Sea of Reeds. The Jewish people had just heard the Ten Commandments. What now? The people remained from far off, but Moses drew near to the Arafel where God was. That's what the verse says happened next. Now, Moses was to ascend the mountain and remain with God for 40 days and 40 nights, and it started with Moses drawing near to the Arafel. What is the Arafel? Rashi, the classic commentator, comments on this. And I quote, drew near to the Arafel, within three partitions, darkness, cloud, and Arafel, as it is said, and the mountain was burning with fire unto the heart of the heavens, darkness, cloud, and Arafel. Arafel is synonymous with the thickness of the cloud, concerning which God said to him, to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in the thickness of the cloud. That's what Rashi explains. Rabbi Naftali Hertz ben Yaakov el Khanan, in his Kabbalistic works called Emek HaMelech, which means the Valley of the King, he writes that Arafel, opaque darkness, darker than dark, and the thickness of the cloud represents the lowest world of Asiya action. What does this mean? The lower three worlds of the spiritual evolution from the infinite light to the physical concealment from higher to lower are Bria means creation, Yetzirah, formation, and the lowest world is Asiya, action. Unlike the higher spiritual worlds, which primarily are defined as light and revelation, these three lower worlds, which represent the evolution of ego, are defined as darkness. And the definition gets thicker and thicker as we descend. Thus, the world of Bria is darkness, the world of Yetzirah is cloud, and the lowest world is Asiyah, is Arafel, the thicker the cloud, the opaque darkness. Now, according to this teaching, the conclusion of the verse, right? I quoted to you the verse before. The people remained far off, but Moses drew near to the Arafel where God was. Now, according to this teaching, the conclusion of the word verse where God was is the emphasis of the name used, Elohim which is the name of God for strictness, limitations, and concealment. According to this approach of Rashi and the Emek HaMelech, Arafel represents the lowest level, and Moses entering into the Arafel represents Moses entering into this physical world which was created by the secret of the concealment of the divine name of Elohim. Okay, however, there's another verse which says, The Lord said that He would dwell in the Arafel. 
And in the verse of Psalms it says, He who dwells in the cover of the Most High will lodge in the shadow. It is clear that we are speaking of the highest level rather than of the lowest level. So how can these two opinions of what Arafel is coincide? Is it the highest or is it the lowest? Another question that we need to explore is why the Torah speaks of only Moses entering into the sublime level of divine revelation if at Mount Sinai it's about God giving to all the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. It was the one precise moment in history that the revelation was to all of the children of Israel. Why then does the verse point out the revelation being only to Moses? As the rest of the Jewish people, the verse says, remained far off. One final question on our opening verse is about the name of God that is used in the verse. The revelation of the Ten Commandments is the revelation of the highest order from the essence name, the ineffable tetragrammaton. Additionally, our sages teach us that at Mount Sinai, God revealed himself through his attribute of compassion as an elderly father before his children. Why then does the verse here use A, the lower name of Elohim, which B, represents the attribute of strictness and justice? Being that the episode that we are speaking of concerns God giving us his holy Torah, let us understand why God did this. Let us ask the question more clearly. We are taught that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through divine inspiration, knew the Torah, studied the Torah, and observed the commandments. Jacob, in turn, taught the Torah to his twelve sons. Thus, why did God need to create the entire magnificent moment at Mount Sinai to give the children of Israel the Torah? We already have it from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through their divine inspiration. There are three different opinions on the necessity to God giving the Torah to the children of Israel, even though the knowledge of the Torah and its commandments already existed by our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Rebbe of Blessed Memory sees them not as three separate opinions, but as one built upon and expanding upon the other. And so we will approach these opinions. The Torah and its commandments are about connecting with the ebb and flow, spiritual vitality of the universe and of the revelation of God. There is the ebb of the light and all of creation in the yearning upward to return to naught within the bosom of its source. And then there is the flow in which the light and all of creation humbly accept to be and to express outwardly the existence of God. So we have the ebb and the flow. So too it is with Torah study, as we shall soon see, and so it is with the commandments in which there are two categories one is the 365 prohibitions, thou shalt not, which is the ebb. And then there's the 248 commandments, thou shall, which is the flow of expressing divinity upon earth. Abraham received his divine inspiration through which the Torah and its commandments were revealed to him through his aligning himself with this ebb and flow of divinity. 
Abraham aligned himself through his personal selflessness and service to God. As the verse states, and Abraham went continually traveling. We're taught that went represents the ebb and traveled represents the flow. However, the reason why Abraham was able to reach such an alignment with divinity on his own was because of the lofty soul with which he was born. This experience was not available to everyone. Not everyone could align himself with the ebb and flow of spirituality, but only to those who were born with such a lofty soul. Thus we find that from Adam until Mount Sinai, where God gave the Torah to the children of Israel, only selected people were able to reach this divine inspiration on their own, such as Noah, his son Shem, and Shem's grandson Aver. Abraham studied under Noah, and Isaac and Jacob studied under Shem and Aver. However, other than the selected people who are born with a lofty soul, capable of reaching the spiritual alignment of ebb and flow, the divine inspiration was unavailable and the knowledge of Torah was closed to them. Therefore, according to the first opinion, God gave the Torah to the children of Israel down here in the physical plane of the universe so that the Torah and its commandments now become accessible to everyone. That's the first opinion. Next, prior to God descending upon Mount Sinai and giving us the Torah throughout the generations of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the spiritual alignment and connection through Torah study and mitzvah observance was limited to being a spiritual experience without manifesting itself into the physical. For example, Jacob did not have a pair of tefillin as we do. However, we are taught through Kabbalah that through meditation and the process of, I'm going to quote you a verse of what Jacob did when he was working out a deal with his father-in-law Laban. It says, And Jacob took himself moist rods of trembling poplar and hazelnut and chestnut, and he peeled white streaks upon them, bearing the white that was on the rods. That's what the verse tells us in Genesis. We are taught that this wasn't just a simple story. It actually, together with meditation, it was a Kabbalistic process through which Jacob experienced the spirituality of the commandment of Tefillin. Interesting. However, Right after Jacob finished the meditation and the Kabbalistic performance with the rods, the rods were not holy, for divinity could not yet permeate the physical realm of the universe. So unlike our tefillin, which are holy, we kiss, you're not allowed to drop it. If you drop it, you have to give charity. Those rods, which were his key to experiencing the spirituality of tefillin, did not remain holy. There was a decree from God that served as a wall which divided heaven from earth, spiritual from physical. This is why at Mount Sinai it states two verses. One says, Moses ascended to God. And another says, the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai. There was both, Moses ascending and the Lord descending. The reason for both God descending into the physical and Moses physically ascending into the spiritual 
was that with God physically giving the Torah to the children of Israel, God was breaking the wall that separated the spiritual from the physical. And now we have physical holy objects that are permeated with spirituality. As for example, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, which remains holy until this day. So according to the second opinion, God gave the Torah because God was breaking the wall between the decree, the barrier between the spiritual and the physical so that through our performance of mitzvahs, we can actually transform physical objects into becoming holy physical objects. Now, this opinion, according to the Rebbe, is expanding upon the first opinion that gi God giving the Torah to the children of Israel not only made the spiritual experience of our forefathers available to everyone, but it also made that which our forefathers didn't have, the physical manifestation of spirituality, available to everyone. So that's the second opinion. Let's go on to the third opinion. God told Moses, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob with the name Kael Shakai, Almighty God. But with my name Havaya, the ineffable tetragrammaton, I did not become known to them. The reason why Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could not experience the ineffable tetragrammaton is because it can only be experienced through Torah and mitzvot, as God began the Ten Commandments with the words, I am Havaya, your Lord. Thus, our forefathers' experience in Torah and mitzvahs through their divine inspiration was only at the lower level of Havaya closed itself within the shield of the name Elohim. And what the forefathers experienced were only the lower names. That's why God told Moses that I appear to them only with the lower names of Kael Shakai. Through when God gave the children of Israel the Torah and the mitzvot, God opened to them through their Torah study and their mitzvot observance the revelation of the higher Havaya, the ineffable tetragrammaton. So there's the third opinion that God gave us the Torah so that he made available to us not only the way it conceals itself in the lower names of Kael Shakai, but we should be able to connect with the higher Havaya, the ineffable tetragrammaton of I am Havaya your Lord. Here too, the Rebbe explains that this third opinion is built upon and is expanding upon the first two opinions. Torah is not just about the human understanding of divine wisdom. For while wisdom is the highest faculty of the human's tense faculty, God cannot be defined as wisdom. Rather, in the Torah is closed the, in the clothed the infinite essence will of God, which is above and beyond any divine evolution of perceivable emanations. This is the ultimate experience of God giving the Torah to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. The forefathers achieved their divine inspiration through their self-refinement and spiritual alignment, and thus they were only able to achieve that which the human mind can perceive, the divine wisdom of the Torah, 
However, at Mount Sinai, God gave the infinite will, that's opinion number three, to every single Jew, opinion number one, in a way that it will permeate the physical, opinion number two. So, let us take a step back now and see what the three opinions united as one are telling us. And with it, let us have a far deeper appreciation for the ebb and flow pattern of the Torah. The ultimate ebb of the Torah can be found in the story of Rabbi Akiva's final moments upon earth. Rabbi Akiva was one of the ten martyrs that we speak of in our Yom Kippur prayers. His holy body was wrapped in a holy Torah scroll and was ignited on fire. When Moses was shown this scene by God, Moses cried out, This is Torah and this is its reward? Moses, the embodiment of divine wisdom, could not perceive how it could be that such was God's justice upon Rabbi Akiva. God responded with, Silence, for so it has arisen within my will. God was telling Moses that his divine wisdom was not able to perceive God's will. And thus God tells Moses to be silent as our sages state in Ethics of Our Fathers, a fence for wisdom is silence. Rabbi Akiva's reaction was very different than Moses as the Talmud documents his discussion with his students while his body was being consumed and his final moments before he returned his soul to his maker. Rabbi Akiva, we are taught, was of total understanding and acceptance. This is the ultimate ebb of Torah study, in which a person connects not only with the perceivable wisdom of God in the Torah, but also with the infinite transcendence of God's will in the Torah. The ultimate flow of the Torah is also to be found in Rabbi Akiva, but during his lifetime. Rabbi Akiva was a scholar of the oral law, the Talmud, which is all about perceiving and understanding fully the Torah with the human mind. Rabbi Akiva was not only a scholar of the Talmud, but he was a master of the oral law, as our sages ruled, and all are taught according to the views of Rabbi Akiva. Thus, the ebb of Torah study, once God gave the Torah to the children of Israel and it now became possible to find the ineffable tetragrammaton, that's opinion number three, is to connect with the infinite transcendence of God's unperceivable will in the Torah. While the flow of Torah study is to fully perceive once God gave the Torah and it became accessible to everyone, opinion number one, within the human mind, once God gave the Torah and it is now to be found within the physical limitations and capacity to the human mind, opinion number two. So there you have all of them together. There's the ebb, which is opinion number three, to be able to embrace that which is unperceivable, and once God gave the Torah, that became accessible to everyone. And God gave the Torah that it should be able to be perceivable in the physical limitations and capacity of the human mind. 
The depths of these three opinions, as they become one opinion, is that the unperceivable transcendence will of God becomes now perceivable to the human mind of anybody and everybody who studies the Torah. Now we can return to our opening questions. A. Is Arafel the lowest or the highest? To understand this, we need to question how is it possible that the lowest of God's creations, who has an absolute capacity of impurity, selfishness, and perceivable atheism, only the human being can have that. How is it possible that this lowest of God's creations, who has an absolute capacity of impurity, selfishness, and perceivable atheism, can be the very creation to be able to connect in an ultimate oneness with God through perceiving the infinite transcendence will of God? How is that possible? The answer is that quite the contrary is the spiritual truth of the situation. The reason why the human being can perceive the ultimate oneness with God is because the human being has the capacity of transformation from its capacity of impurity, selfishness, and perceivable atheism. And it had the human being has the capacity of transforming the world around him. All that is impure in our world is so because it fell from the highest level of the spiritual world. As Kabbalah teaches us the rule, that which is higher falls lower. Now through transformation of selfless service to God, we reveal the higher and thus, we can have the ultimate co connection with the transcendence will of God. Thus, now we see that both teachings upon the Arafel, the thicket of the cloud, are true. The spiritual source of Arafel is he who dwells in the cover of the Most High beyond perceivable revelation. So Arafel is the highest of levels. On the other hand, the Arafel manifests itself in our world as opaque darkness, void of spirituality, revelation, and godliness. However, it is specifically by entering into the Arafel and transforming the narcissist self-seeking paradigm of the human opaque darkness into a transparency for the wisdom and will of God that we can then receive the ultimate connection with God through our Torah study. Let's jump for a moment to question number three because of its similarity to the concept we just explained concerning the two dimensions of the Arafel. The question was why the name Elohim? Why not the higher name of Havaya, the ineffable tetragrammaton? The name Elohim, like the Arafel, can represent the holiest of darkness or the deepest concealment of spirituality and divine revelation. On the one hand, the numerical value of the Hebrew word Elohim is 86, which is the same numerical value of the Hebrew word Hateva, the nature. For the purpose of the name Elohim, as it descends, is to serve as a shield and concealment upon the hand, the revelation of God. Thus, Elohim takes on the lowest level, concealment, void of spirituality and revelation. However, Kabbalah tells us that the name Elohim in its greatest source is called essence concealment, 
which is the exact verse I quoted you before, he who dwells in the cover of the Most High. Being that we are now seeing that the ultimate transmission of God giving the Torah to the children of Israel is the infinite unperceivable will, the essence concealment, therefore God uses the name Elohim here in this verse. Elohim in its highest form, the essence concealment, he who dwells in the cover of the Most High. Now let us return to question number two. Why does God tell only Moses to enter into the Arafel if the purpose of God giving the children of Israel the Torah is so that everyone can enter into the essence Elohim Arafel perception of the Torah? To understand this, we will turn to an interesting question and answer of the Talmud upon Moses. In Deuteronomy, just prior to his passing, Moses asks the Jewish people, and I quote, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear? Upon which the Talmud asks, Are we to infer from this that fear is a small thing, the way Moses is asking it? What does God want but this? Is this a small thing? To fear God is a small thing? The Talmud answers, Yes, for Moses, our teacher, it was a small thing. Now comes along Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, founder of Chabad, and in his book Tanya asks a simple question. How does the Talmud answer its own question like this? Moses was talking to the Jewish people, not to himself. And for the Jewish people to fear God is not a little thing at all. It's not a small thing. So when the sages ask the way Moses is talking to the Jews, are we to infer from this that fear is a small thing? We're talking about whether it's a small thing for you and I, for every Jew, not whether it was a small thing for Moses. So how does the Talmud suffice with the answer, yes, for Moses, it was a small thing. Thus, Rabbi Shneer Zalman explains the Talmud's answer that the Talmud is not talking about the Moses who lived in Egypt from the year 2368 to the year 2488 of creation. Rather, the Talmud is talking about the Moses that exists within each and every one of us. The Talmud is talking about the godly soul within us, to whom fearing God is practical and little. Now we can return to our discussion. It is the Moses within each and every one of us that received the Torah from God, and it is the Moses within each and every one of us that studies Torah, perceives Torah, and connects with the Arafel, Elohim essence concealment of God within the Torah. So when the verse says that God's telling Moses to approach the Arafel, he's talking about the godly soul within each and every one of us. Then it is this Moses within us who must bring the Torah to the Jewish people within each and every one of us. What does it mean the Jewish people when we talk about within ourselves? This refers to the rest of our consciousness who eats, sleeps, works, and lives all the other details of a physical human life. Thus, we now have a very personal understanding of the three opinions as they unite as one. Let's see. The Moses, the godly soul, within us was given by God to perceive and become one even with the essence concealment of God within the Torah. 
opinion number three through which God empowered him to give the Torah to each and every Jew which means our animalistic soul and all its physical pursuits that's opinion number one so that it can manifest itself in our physical life as King Solomon says in all your ways know him and in all your actions be for the sake of heaven that's opinion number two that it should be able to break the barrier into our physical life so my friends in closing what we are learning here is that each and every Jew each and every one of us has the capacity to study the deepest spiritual secrets of Hasidus of the Torah that is the essence concealment and with this each and every Jew has the capacity to live the Torah in his physical worldly life so one should always remember that while the early bird gets the worm the early worm gets eaten therefore always live within your higher consciousness <laughs>